This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and, if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, recently, there's been reports around the district of privately owned land that had become known as a site rich in nature that has suddenly been stripped of vegetation and worse. At Smallford Pit, um, I saw a tractor with a hedge trimmer systematically cutting scrub to the ground and the little ponds that dot the site had been polluted with diesel. At Tidnahanger Lakes, where scout groups, with the permission of the landowner, had planted 4,000 trees, all the vegetation, including the small trees, has been cleared. And at Knapsbury, part of a pocket of land that locals called the Knapsbury Wildlife Sanctuary has again been cleared. Now later I'll speak to Matt Dodds, um, the Planning and Biodiversity Manager of Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust, to has, ask him for his view on why so many local wildlife sites are being destroyed just now and about how additional protection for such sites might be just around the corner. But first, I spoke to Mark Park Crown, who lives in North Cottagers at Knapsbury and is a spokesperson for the Save Knapsbury Wildlife Sanctuary Group. I spoke to Mark on Zoom and I started by asking him where the bit of land that he knows as Knapsbury Wildlife Sanctuary is exactly. It's part of the old um, Knapsbury Hospital site that was developed in the 90s. It's actually broadly a triangular piece of land that sits to the north side of the now Knapsbury Park residential estate and is bounded on the other two sides by North Cottages and the London Mainline Railway. Right, so it, it was part of what was the Knapsbury Hospital and and what's happened to it in recent years? It was still land that was owned by the NHS. Uh, it was sold to a private developer uh, called uh, TransLink London Limited in 2009. OK, so perhaps um, development is something that might have been on the cards at some point. But what had happened to the land? What, what, what did it look like before what's happened now? It, broadly speaking, has been left untouched since the main development of the site took place in the 1990s. So that would mean it's some, somewhere between 20 and 30 years but it's been left to grow wild. And in that time, what what did it look like? Well, over time, wildlife and plant life has recolonised the space much as you would expect. So um, in actual fact, I'm looking out of my window at it right now, at the the, the remaining bits that haven't been destroyed. And it was broadly a sort of scrubland type of space, quite a lot of thick growth of brambles, various self-seeded shrubs, some quite big trees in the space, actually, that have grown over that time, uh, maybe up to sort of five metres tall. As you walk around it, as myself and other residents often did, you would see really quite a lot of wildlife and insect life and some quite interesting plant life uh, establishing itself there. OK, so it was a kind of like a, a mini rewilding project there, really, and, and wildlife, as you say, had, had returned. So tell us what has happened to it then? A few weeks ago, quite without warning, the contractors turned up on the land and started mowing everything flat. They had a JCB on there 
with a, a hedge cutting atta- attachment, and they were basically milling all of the under- undergrowth and the trees down to the ground. Uh, myself and a number of other people went and immediately challenged the, the contractors about this. We called the police because we were concerned that um, we were looking at the site of a wildlife crime. We had um, local ca- our local parish and district councillors here. We had the council tree enforcement person here and the planning enforcement person what we were told as a result of that was that actually this was all legal and lawful but when you dig underneath this it's extremely concerning because in order for planning permission to be granted on this piece of land there will need to be an ecological survey of the wildlife in place apparently though in the meantime before that ecological survey it's perfectly perfectly legitimate for the landowner and his contractors to come onto the land and then dis- and destroy that habitat and remove the wildlife and then of course when their ecologist comes along to do a survey they'll be able to say well no wildlife here mate that to me uh, and many other residents and indeed our councils is utterly shocking so are there planning permissions with respect to the land at the moment is there planning permissions outstanding it's in a stage called pre-planning, which means that the developer has announced that they intend to apply for planning permission and has got some preliminary guidance from the council about that. And there's actually, there's also a, a formally a way of raising objections to planning on this location. The, the, the bottom line is really we'd like to see this left as a, as a green space for wildlife. Okay. So have you had any contact with the landowner about this? Oh, yes. We had lots of very interesting conversations with the landowner. He he variously told us in conversations when he was visiting the site that there was no habitat here. Well, he didn't understand what we were making a fuss about. He said uh, this needed to be cleared for a site in, uh, inspection. He told us that there was a fire risk and therefore he needed to clear it. He told us he was planning to open a chicken farm and he was thinking about growing grazing cows on it. Or, or in fact, that he was doing this mowing to, to, to increase the amenity for dog walkers. Now, to be quite frank, I think he was just yanking our chain. There's big money in this. So he's not going to be in the slightest bit interested in anything that we have to say about what he should do with his land. Indeed. But, Mark, if he's the owner of the land, it is up to him to do you know, what he wishes to do. And um, one would hope that the planning process would give the opportunity for objections from people like you. So is he really doing something wrong? What he's doing is he's destroying wildlife habitat in advance of the ecological survey that the planning process says he must have in order for planning to be permitted. And Mark, what did the, you say the, the police were called? What did they have to say? Uh, th- th- for, from their perspective, it's simply a question of was a wildlife crime within the uh, constraints of legislation being committed at that point in time? And they said, no, it wasn't. Okay, so I took a quick look at the site and and actually there's other similar land next to it as well. Are you concerned about what might happen to that too? They're coming, no, they're coming. So what the developer, developer's contractors told us is they're coming back in um, October to level the entire thing, except those trees that are protected by tree protection orders. Okay, and in the meantime, you've formed a Facebook group to get together other people concerned about this site? A bit more than a Facebook group. Um, we are we're spinning up a, a proper campaign um, for North Cottages re- residents, Napsbury Park residents, um, and indeed anyone else who wants to protect um, habitat around St Albans. I was talking there to Mark Park Crown, spokesperson for the Save Napsbury Wildlife Sanctuary Group.
And I've tried to get in touch with the owners of the site, TransLink London Limited, but without success. So that's what's happening at Knapsbury, but there's the other local sites where habitat has recently been destroyed as well. I spoke to Matt Dodds, Planning and Biodiversity Manager at Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust, to find out a bit more about the legality of the situation. Matt, thank you for joining me. So just to start off with, is it illegal to clear vegetation from land that you own? The simple answer is that sometimes it can be, and that's depending on what species are present. So, for example, if great crested newts are present within the area and any um, structure that they use for shelter or protection or for breeding purposes is disturbed, then that can be an illegal act. Similarly, if uh, nesting birds are present in scrub, for example, or hedgerows and the hedgerow is removed, then that can be against the law. And other situations are other species such as reptiles, what have you. So killing and injuring those species can be illegal. So whilst removing the vegetation isn't necessarily illegal, it it depends on what species are present. But how would you know what species were present once the destruction of the habitat has taken place? Uh, That's very difficult. And that's often where the law falls down, because then should a challenge be made against what has been undertaken, then it's beholden of the police then to try and prove that a breach of the law has taken place. So then they have to try and find evidence of nesting birds or of great crested newts uh, before they can bring a prosecution. And what what is really helpful in this situation is if people, one, are aware a development is going to take place or proposing to take place, and two, are aware of the presence of protected species such as newts. They report that to the local record centre, and at least then there's a record. Actually proving it is very difficult, and that's often where these cases fall down you see. Okay we'll come back to that in a moment. Just sort of thinking about the situation we find ourselves in at the minute is the amount of habitat destruction that we've seen around the district is that unusual? In my experience it is and I've been doing this for well looking at planning applications for over 20 years now and the situation we're confronted with at the moment is the worst that I can remember. I think it's due to multiple causes one of which is there is a lot of development proposed for the area. There's call for sites in, in the district. And so people are putting forward planning applications or just or trying to get included within the local plan. And I think the other side of that is that you've got legislation pending, which is the Environment Bill, which contains much more stringent measures to ensure that a net gain to biodiversity is achieved through development. There's already a requirement for a net gain to biodiversity, but what the Environment Bill does is it, it provides the mechanism by which that will be decided, the end result of which is that it's harder for planning authorities to avoid that responsibility. And so developers ahead of putting in a planning application are looking to reduce the existing ecological value. So they have to provide less on the other side of the equation, if you like. And also, so it looks more attractive to be included in the local plan. If it's full of scrub and full of birds, then it's less likely to be included. If it's a site completely clear and devoid of any of those you know, habitats, then then it's they perceive that it's more likely to be included. Now, the sites that we've seen cleared around the district, they're ones that have been used by humans, but they've, they've been abandoned. I mean, so they are kind of derelict sites, really. I mean, are they a, of a lot of wildlife importance? Uh, they can be, is the answer. It's essentially a, a rewilding process that's been going on on some high-profile sites recently. 
And that's nature recovering. So gradually accumulating that ecological complexity without the influence of human activity, largely. And what's being created are areas of scrub and grassland and, and, a, and a matrix of, of all those different elements. They can be incredibly biodiverse sites. The horrific case of Smallford Pits, which um, some of it has been um, cleared recently, that is a, an old tip which has just scrubbed over and had a few horses on it. So it's got that complex mosaic of habitats. And that, over the years, has accumulated the largest diversity of dragonflies of any site in the whole of the county. So that shows what can be achieved. And that, that's just dragonflies. OK, so we've got these rewilded sites, derelict sites, dotted around the district. Are they of particular importance in Hertfordshire right now? Uh, absolutely. Both as stepping stones, but also as colonisation points and depending on what species that they support, they can be pretty critical. A large proportion of our habitats in, in the county are degraded and, and subject to pretty intensive agriculture. So these areas where wildlife can um, pretty much get on with it uh, can be incredibly important. The irony is, though, because they are relatively recent sites... And they're neither one thing or the other, if you like. So they're not high quality grassland. They're not high quality woodland. They sort of fall between stools in terms of the way they're considered in planning. In planning, you have these habitats called priority habitats. And they are things like ancient woodland, ancient grassland, ponds, lakes, etc. Scrub doesn't sort of fit or a matrix of scrub doesn't really fit in there. So it's not considered to be as important in planning, but actually from a biodiversity perspective, it can be more important than either of those habitats or all of those habitats. It looks like we're going to see, as you say, more development of perhaps of areas like this around the district with the demand for houses. If people live near to a site that they think is of wildlife importance, but as you say, isn't included in an official um, wildlife reserve, perhaps, is there anything that they can do to take steps to give it a little protection? Take pictures of the current situation. You mustn't break the law whilst doing so. So to gain access to a site that, that there isn't open access on and get yourself in trouble doing that. So I wouldn't ever advise you doing that. But if you can record species and if you can take pictures, that gives a snapshot in time of what the, the site is. And so that there is hope is what I wanted to stress. There is hope. And that hope is provided by the Environment Bill, which is the act that's coming into play, because it carries within it a clause that says any habitat destruction that has occurred to facilitate planning or you know, any deliberate destruction of habitat must be backdated to January 2020. So if a developer clears a site past that date, then it's considered to be invalid if it can be proven. So I'm hoping that once developers understand it, that it'll act as a, to stop them actually doing this um, destruction because there'll be no benefit to them because ecologically they'll have to be, you know, there's any surveys they produce after the destruction are invalid. The surveys that matter or the situation that matters is, is what was there before the habitat destruction occurred. And that needs to be assessed by using a particular measurable metric, which planning authorities are using now, but um, will have more freedom to use when the Environment Bill comes in, which is imminent. So as long as people know what the situation was before, then theoretically that could prevent planning application in inappropriate places and inadequate assessment, ecological assessment of those sites. 
I suppose the message here is also you recognise that the need for housing is going to have to be built somewhere. But where you do have particularly nature sensitive sites, then perhaps not that's not an appropriate place for them. At the Wildlife Trust, we're not anti-development. We stress that all the time. But we want to ensure that the requirements of planning policy, i.e. that development delivers a measurable net gain to biodiversity, are upheld. And also that areas of existing value are conserved and enhanced. So development can provide uh, massive potential opportunities for biodiversity if the policy is followed. So planning isn't necessarily bad as long as the policy is applied properly. If it isn't, then yes, it can be. And you get situations like this where people think that they're going to get an advantage by destroying existing habitat ahead of a planning application coming in. I was talking there to Matt Dodds, Planning and Biodiversity Manager at Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trusts. Now, if you missed any of this show or if you'd like to hear Scout Leader Ian Yeti Burnett talking about how he organised local scout groups to plant the 4,000 saplings that have been mown down at Tissenhanger Lakes, then head to the podcast page of RadioVerulam.com, where you'll also find recordings of last week's Hertfordshire Environment Hustings, organised by Hearts Friends of the Earth groups, where the audience put questions on environmental issues to a panel of representatives from the four main parties in the forthcoming county council elections. Now, perhaps you've seen similar habitat destruction on a site near to you. Do get in touch. We're on Twitter at RV underscore environment. Check out the Environment Matters Facebook page or drop me a line on amanda at radioverulam.com. I'll be back at the same time next week. Until then, thank you for listening.